Welcome to the Hope with Remark Show. And today my guest is Christopher de Cesare, New York-based author, lecturer, whose experiences as a college student back in 1985 were focused on several books, films, radio and television shows. Among them, his sci-fi network series, School Spirit, Season 1, Episode 2, Dorm Room Nightmare. Uh, also an award-winning independent film, Please Talk With Me. The C2-D1 haunting is among the most documented paranormal events in US history. Over a dozen witnesses have professed knowledge or experience of this Western New York haunting. Chris was came a, an urban legend under the nickname Ghost Boy Adjurizio. Events experience full-bodied apparitions, disembodied voices, moving objects, physical attacks, photographs, audio tapes. After years avoiding the spotlight, Chris was encouraged to write his own account of these extreme events. Surviving Evidence, Memoir of Extreme Haunting. Chris went on to appear on Coast to Coast AM with George Nouray in June 2016. After the, his appearance, his book became number five in the gender Amazon bestseller. Hi, Chris. Well, hello, hello. It's nice to be on your show. And my first question to you, Chris, is what inspired you to do the episode of School Spirits on Sci-Fi Network. Well, it uh, <clears throat> it wasn't my idea. Um, the the haunting itself was so devastating and so traumatic that uh, for about twenty to twenty five years I didn't really speak about it because I didn't know how to share it in a positive way. Um, when I realized over time that the mere aspect of survival might be interesting to people, I began speaking at colleges like Penn State University, um, Geneseo, SUNY Orange, and while speaking at Penn State, there were a number of uh, NBC executives who owned sci-fi in the audience. I didn't know this, and they said to me, listen, you know, what we just heard is incredible. There's nothing like it, and we want to put you on television. And a guy named Mark Burnett, who does Survivor and shows like that, wants to do this show. And I thought, huh, that's odd. And so I, I was invited to TV, which is a very, I think, probably an odd thing. It was... Um... Tell me a little bit about your award-winning independent film. Please talk to me. Well, I can't take much credit for it. Um, Please Talk With Me is something that was um, directed by Mara Katria. She won an award for Best Director. It was produced by Bill Edwards. And uh, this group uh, had, had found some notes that my friend had written down during the haunting. And they wanted to do a documentary with the people involved, not so much to talk about the ghost itself, but to look at people in that kind of crisis. You know, what are you seeing? Is it real? If it is real, what do you do? And and if you start doing things, who do you tell? And so they're the ones that actually encouraged me to come forward years later, decades later, since I was the ghost boy Geneseo back as a teen, you know, to, to do that. And it's thanks to them, um, you know, that's how this whole ball got rolling with me coming 
out of this darkness uh, after so many years. And I have to say, you know, I got to watch some of the process. You know, they have to audition for every role in the film. And, and you see people line up for this big break, you know, there'll be 45 people, 50 people. And they've told their parents, okay, mom, it's all worth it now, or their boyfriend or girlfriend, this is a big chance. And the thing is, only one person of those 40, 50 get that nod for each role. And I wasn't necessarily myself an actor, but they said to me, listen, while we're casting, if you see anything or hear anything from these actors that reminds you of one of your friends and was there, let us know, and we'll consider that in our final casting. So that was interesting to watch. And they created, they, they remade all of these rooms from my college days years and years ago. And going on the set, it was like going back in time. It was a, an incredible and a very, very meaningful experience for me. How did you cope with the media attention at the time of your extreme paranormal experience? Oh, that was very difficult. And I, I think that as a teenager, trying to deal with the media attention was almost as difficult as trying to survive the haunting. Uh, because what happens is, you know, the media has a narrative and, you know, they, they release snippets or headlines and that becomes the truth. And, you know, I never wanted to be the ghost boy of Geneseo. That's not what I wanted. I don't want the haunting to happen. And when everyone around you says, this is who you are, that's who you become. And so it was very difficult for me to to be labeled against my will with no recourse. And so when the newspaper reporters came or if the TV came, I would hide. I would hide behind large mailboxes. I'd hide behind buildings. I just, I didn't know how to explain what was happening. I wasn't prepared for it, you know? And and so I basically tried to avoid the, those encounters. And I, I spoke to a woman about three years ago who said, you know, my father looked for you. He couldn't find you. He went to your college so many times, but he knew you were real, but he couldn't find you. And I said, what do you look like? And I described him to her. That's my dad. I said, well, he found me. I just didn't let him know it was me. I, I was right next to him. I just didn't have the courage or understanding at that point in time. I had to deal with the media. And I, I think if I did embrace it, it would have been bad. You know, when you're a teenager, you're not quite emotionally mature enough to handle, you know, sudden, sudden uh, change in your status. And I probably would have made a lot of mistakes that many people who are young do mistake. So I, I think that looking back, and this is rationalization, waiting to, you know, do this and, and go public with what happened and who I was 25 years later, it gave me a chance to control my own destiny, which I think is a better thing. When you experienced these events, how did, did you become very scared? Yes. Um, you know, many people today, as, as you know, look for evidence of afterlife. They'll talk about spirituality, the paranormal, uh, different theories they might have to explain these uh, manifestations. I had no interest in this field. I liked sports. I liked ice cream. I liked, you know, meeting people. I just, I was a very uh, down-to-earth type of person. And the very concept, when I first saw this ghost in that college room, standing there by the wall, I was scared from the start because I thought to myself, well, wait a second, this is impossible. If I'm really seeing this, then that means all the things I know that are true might not be. It was a huge paradigm shift. So even there again, you know, as scary as the ghost was to view, to see, to, to speak with, the fact it was there initially 
was the scariest thing because I didn't know how much of the world and how much of life I didn't understand. And, you know, whatever you do in your life, whether it's something creative, something athletic, something academic, you want to go into that. And you want to go into that with a sense of understanding, of direction. And when the world around you swirls and you can't get your bearings and you don't know what happens tomorrow, it's hard to be healthy. It's hard to be happy in that environment. What do you think people get out of your experience when they re- read your book or watch the documentaries or the series? Well, you know, I I don't exactly know what everyone gets out of it. Um, I'm hoping that people who do watch it or view it or read it uh, get something positive that they can apply in their own lives. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I received a note. It was unsigned after an event I spoke at. And I'll read it to you. And it said, thank you for your courage, for showing the world your perseverance. I'm going through something similar to you. And I'm finally understanding a little bit about what's going on. There are parallels between your experience and mine. And to see you surviving and moving on and living, it reminds me I have the strength to get through my own stuff. God bless. And so that's the hope that the folks I speak with, people who read my book or watch the movie, they learn to understand it's important to appreciate what you have, that you should every day try to listen to a nice song, put some music on, listen to the chords, the notes, the vocals, listen to everything about that song, give yourself that time. One meal a day, relax, chew your food slow, appreciate the taste. You know, talk to one person every day, don't rush it through, just talk with them, look in their eyes. You know, when we go, there are many theories what happens after we're gone, but we know we have this moment now. And so working through that haunting, thinking I would die at any minute, there was suicide in that haunting, there were attacks in that haunting, it allowed me to appreciate at a very early age that each day is a gift. And I always try to tell the people I speak with or who read the book, try to enjoy what you have. Don't spend all your time thinking, I wish this, I wish that, how come they have? Look at yourself in the mirror, say, I'm the only one there is of me. This is going to be good for me, and let's enjoy my life. I, I, when I saw the um, series, I saw that you was uh, trained to be a marathon runner at the time. Yes. Do you still keep that up? I, I wish I could. You know, I remember in 1984, uh, the Olympics were held in Los Angeles, California. And Carlos Lopez of Portugal got first place. He's from Europe. Second place was John Tracy from Ireland. That's not so far from you. And then third place was Charlie Spedding from the UK. So I remember that's about the time when I was running really fast. Um, one of my co-competitors in this area in New York was named John Troutman. And John Troutman ran in Barcelona in 1992 Olympics, the 10,000 meter finals. He got sixth place. I beat him. And so I knew that going to Olympic Games was not an impossibility. Unfortunately, sometimes injury happens. And I hurt my knee, and I can never push my pace fast enough without risking injury every time to do what that took. But I loved running. I loved the challenge of improving. I loved breathing the air in my lungs, seeing all different landscapes. I ran the Montreal Marathon. I ran all different places. I, I really love it, New York City Marathon. So I don't run like that anymore. I try to stay active. But you know, I, I really had a nice opportunity back in those days. I met Greta Weitz from Norway, Frank Shorter, Bill Rogers, all the great marathon runners I got a chance to meet and talk to. 
And that's just a gift I'll never forget. Do you think that that, that when you had to go through all the um, de- dedication required for being a marathon runner, did it help you cope with your events that happened to you? Yeah, that's a. I think it's an excellent question because you're connecting my time before the haunting to my time in the haunting, and we're not isolating variables here. You are who you are, and so yes, when you train for marathons, you control your environment, you control your carbohydrate intake, you control your speed work, your hill work, you control your mileage, you control you know all aspects of your life to make sure when the race day comes, you're ready to go to the best of your ability because sometimes one simple choice can mean winning and betting fifth place or 10th place. And so, yes, I was a person who analyzed things. I had a chart on my wall. I had a, a log book and I would chart the weather conditions and the temperature. I would chart my mileage and the hills and that course to determine my strengths and weaknesses and strategy. So when it, con- when it came time to go to college, you know, I was excited to go there because I'd be running with people who were faster than me and I could get better. Um, when the ghost and the haunting thing started, that's the first thing I did. Okay, what's causing this? Is there gas leak in the room? You know, is there drugs in my food? Is it a practical joke? Was it hypnotized? Was it a reflection? So I began to apply all those thought processes to this experience because I didn't think ghosts were real. Once we realized it was there and we got photographs of this thing, we had this thing talking on a cassette tape, then I used my survival skills in a marathon about not giving up Follow the blue line, pace yourself, take your water in, don't dehydrate, things like that, goal setting. I use that uh, to survive the haunting by saying, okay, it's a new day. What happened yesterday? What did I learn from it? So, yeah, I think that having that background, Mark, uh, really did a, a, a great service to me trying to survive this haunting that lasted in February and March and April, day after day. Who was the first person that you told about what was you was going through? The first person that I told, well, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't, I didn't, it wasn't by design. And we just talked about me controlling my environment. When I saw the ghost for the first time standing in my room, I absolutely did the wrong thing and I panicked. I had a box of candies in my hand. I threw them in the air. I screamed. I ran up my door, down the hallway. The first door I came to, I banged on, bang, 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 help, help me. Total sheer terror. The door opened up, and in that room were Jeff and Ed. And I ran in the room, I fell on the floor, and I kept saying, I panicked, I panicked. I didn't say why. And they kept saying to me, Chris, what happened? Why are you panicking? What should we know? And finally, after about 30 seconds, I said, there's a ghost in my room. I didn't want to say that, but that was the truth as I knew it. And Jeff... Uh, luckily for me, since he was a child, had an interest in the paranormal. And so he began to ask me questions. And it was Jeff who, in the days following, began to record everything I was seeing, everything I was doing. And those notes became known as the C2D1 journal notes. Those notes were used for the sci-fi show, for the film Please Talk With Me, for Tim Shaw's book. Everything you see out there that wasn't generated by me specifically it's based off of those notes, which give you a, a real-time viewpoint into the outbreak of this haunting. And so and it's called the C2D1 haunting because my room in college was C2D1. C building, second floor, D quad, 
first room. And so it wasn't by design. The first door I came to, I knocked on. Jeff was there. Jeff was interested in what's going on. He began writing his notes. And the rest just took off the way it did. What do you think about the fact that you became a bit of an urban legend? <laughs> that is so bizarre. You know, it's, it's, I have to laugh because, you know, sometimes you want something so badly it never happens. You can, you know, work to do some goal, just doesn't work out for you. Other times, just by happenstance, by chance, you meet somebody, you know, you might get a scratch-off ticket and win money. So I had no idea I became an urban legend until years later when people began to say, oh, there's this boy who talks to ghosts. He was in this place. People began looking for me and trying to find me and making phone calls. I, I had really put that part of my life away. And, uh, but like I said, you know, sometimes it just seems like things are meant to be. And, you know, it's funny now because I'm older, being called the ghost boy of Geneseo because I'm not a kid anymore. But, you know, people find value in that and it makes them remember their past. And that's OK. You know, I can be called worse things than that. So but it is a very bizarre thing to know that while I was living my life, people were talking about me and looking for me. Very, very bizarre. <laughs> now, how did your family cope at the time? Um, at the time of the haunting, I did not try to tell them. I didn't want to make them worry. You know, I was the first child. I was the first one to go to college. I didn't want them to think that things were going poorly. I did not tell my parents or any of my family until the haunting was almost over, uh, not until late March. I wanted to survive on my own. I wanted to problem solve on my own. You know, as young as, young as I was, I wanted to be an adult. I wanted to be responsible. When we're in a marathon at the 25-mile mark, you're on your own. And so I wanted to keep it a secret from them. They didn't worry. However, uh, when things get very badly, very bad, and the attacks began to happen, the physical attacks and things like that, I, I had to eventually call home, talk to my father and my dad, and say, "Listen, Dad, something's happening here. I don't know what it is. It's real. I'm really scared. I need your help." And uh, at that point in time, my father drove up to college to see me, and I was very thankful because uh, that meant he cared about me. So some people don't have a father or a mother. I'm very lucky. I had both at the time. And they love me and I love them. And so I was fortunate enough to have parents. Well, it came through in the documentary that I watched um, that your father was very proud of what you did in the marathon running. Oh, yeah. He's the one that got me started. You know, I was a very quiet child. I read a lot of books. I read encyclopedias. Uh, you know, I looked at maps. But I never went outside. I never did anything physical. And so he chased me. He got a stick and chased me on the feet. Run, run. He chased me for miles. And he said to me, you see? You have a talent. Look how fast you run. I don't mean to scare you, he said, but if you don't try things, you won't do things. He said, you're so gifted. And I, I guess he was right because I began running with the high school team when I was, in, you know, when I was like 13, 14 years old with the fastest runners. So thanks to my dad, he believed in me and he pushed me. And I think as a father for him, he wants the best for me. And I love him for that. You know, I love him for that. And, uh, you know, those memories, you, just, you can't relive again. I just look back and think how lucky I was to have a dad that loved me. And that's as important to me as any of the ghost stuff, you know, so I, I feel blessed about that. Gave you the strength, I think, that you helped you out. I, I think so, too. And like I said, I'm, I'm very blessed. My parents are both still alive. My dad still runs every day, so I'm very proud of him. So, yeah, I understand how fortunate I was to have a nice family. 
do you help others that may have gone through the similar stuff to you? That I try to, and that, that's a goal that I have. But, you know, helping somebody is different for every person. Some people need advice. Some people need physical assistance. Some people, you know, so everyone's different a little bit. So if, if people approach me and ask for help, guidance, information, I will always try to offer that, you know, but I always let them know, you know, there are no guarantees. And so the way I did things may or may not work for the way, you know, they're doing things. But I, I like to help out, you know, and because uh, because they put stock in my words and my experience, I try to make sure I, I give them the same respect back. We're going to a break now, Chris. We'll be back after the break. WPHM Digital Broadcasting. The best in paranormal talk radio. Welcome back. I am talking to the Halsey V. Mark show. I am talking to Christopher DeCesare. Hi, Chris. Hello. 
Now we we were talking about earlier about how you it affected you at the time and how you tried to help others. Um, I personally myself have been through a, a near death experience, not as quite as bad as what you went through, but I can understand how you it must have felt at the time. I don't, I don't think that, you know, people expect this to happen. I'm sure you were caught off guard initially, and um, that's life sometimes, you know. Good things happen in life, and bad things happen in life. Every, every good thing is a bad thing, and that's what I was saying before, to underline the good things and appreciate them, because there are still things like cancer, there's still things like war, there's disease, there's divorce, there are a lot of things, addiction, that people go through every day. You know, and those those challenges, I think, help define who we are because everyone struggles. And I think that the person you become when you deal with these struggles, if you decide to do that, likely makes you a stronger or a better person. There's no perfect person. And, and I, I like to think that because of this experience, I am a person who listens more, a person who considers things in a more open-minded fashion. And a person who appreciates, you know, the things in my life that I that I do have. You know, I like I said, I was so young. I was a teenager when this happened. And when you're a teenager and things happen to you and all of a sudden the, the newspapers are there or the, the TV shows are there, or like, what is going on? You know, it's not what I, what I wanted for my, myself or my life. But I had some good friends. I mentioned Jeff to you before. My roommate's name was Paul. Uh, there was uh, Linda was there and Beth and Judy and Craig and... It was nice that way. And then I also had a nice family. I mentioned my mom and my dad. I had two sisters, um, Nicole and Melissa. There was that going for me. I liked to run. So I, I tried to focus on the good things that I did have. And we all have those things while the bad things were going on. But I have to tell you, and my experience is this. No matter how strong you are, no matter how fast you run, no matter how smart you are, when you don't understand your environment, it's very hard to live in it. Or work in it, and that's where I found myself. Have you developed any psychic abilities after this event? Well, it's it's funny you ask that. Um, right before the haunting began, the haunting began, as far as I recall. I mean, it might have happened before then, but I wasn't paying attention. The first thing I noticed occurred on February eleventh, nineteen eighty-five. But twelve days prior, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, the Conjuring, Amityville Horror, Annabelle, Haunted Connecticut, came to my school, my college, and they gave a presentation, a lecture. And they had slides, they had the EVPs they played. At the end of the lecture, they said, come and say hello to Lorraine and Ed. At the time, Lorraine was 39, she's in her 90s now, and Ed has passed away. But when I went to go say hello, Lorraine Warren would not shake my hand. She refused, and she said... I won't shake your hand because I don't want to know my future. I thought, what is he talking about? And later in the haunting, my friend Jeff suggested that maybe he sensed you had some kind of ability or some kind of gift. Maybe that's why you can see the ghost so quickly and so easily. I spoke to Lorraine Warren's daughter two years ago, and she said to me, oh, my gosh, you're the ghost boy. My mom loved you. I said, no, she didn't. <laughs> she wouldn't shake my hand. I said, no, no, no. She respected you. She said that your aura was so powerful that it kind of like pushed out what she could read. And she was trying to, in a public event, you know, read people. I said, oh, no wonder. So I, I never understood that. But I remember when I was a small child, I must have been 11 years old, 
my great-grandfather passed away. And about six months later, I was in the back of the yard, and I was hitting a baseball. And I went around the corner of the house. I went to go get it, and I got the ball, looked up, and there was my great-grandfather. Six months later, he put his finger in his mouth, and he said, shh, like, don't tell anybody. So <gasps> I thought, oh, my gosh, he's dead. So I actually saw a ghost as a small child, but I blocked it out. He said, shh, you know, don't tell anybody. Be quiet about this. So I just I tried to forget that. And when I was in the haunt, I recalled, oh, my gosh, that's what happened. And so over the years, yes, it seems as though I can see certain things and hear certain things. But my experience during the haunting itself was so negative. It was so overwhelmingly uh, traumatic that I have never developed or worked to develop any of those talents or gifts or abilities. So I, I prefer to stay in my safety net and, and not do that. But uh, that, I think it's a choice everyone makes because of my experience. You know, it's, it's like this. If, if you have your first girlfriend or boyfriend and they do terrible things to you, they embarrass you, they cheat on you, you might say, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to have a family. I just, I'm done. Or you might say, well, try it again. Roll the dice and see if the second time works. For me with the paranormal, up until the TV show happened in the movie, I just put it in a box, wrapped it up, and put it in the closet. And that was it. So I, I never really have... But, you know, I'm content. I'm content with my life. I'm content with the knowledge that my experience that I did have has value to folks and that it does hopefully shed some information to people and that maybe they can use someday. I was wondering, who inspired you to write this? Um, to write the book. Um, there had been, over the last few years, a TV show, a second show, a film, books about me. And I was at a convention in Pennsylvania. A gentleman named Eric Werner said to me, listen, you know, we have all these accounts of your experience, but nothing directly from you. In your own words, in your own writing, you should write a book. I thought, well, I don't, I'm not really an author. I don't know if I can do that. He said, listen, y you should do that. And if, if you do that, I have a publishing company. I will publish your book. I'm like, huh, really? All right. So during, uh, it was around Christmas time of 2014, I sat down for a few days at my computer. I put on some old 80s music because that's when the haunting occurred. I told my family, leave me alone for a day or two. And I really churned out the 400 pages in about five or six days, the whole thing, because it had been in my head for almost 30 years. So it, w it was almost no effort to push down and put on print and put into the computer what had happened to me. Of course, then you have to edit the book and you have to do the syntax. That's That comes later on. But the actual book, which is 400 pages long, I, I, I poured out of myself in about five and a half, six days. So, and, and I was surprised that people found value in it. And then when I got invited, so again, you know, I was invited into sci-fi to pursue it. I was invited onto Coast to Coast AM. I Okay, and he read the book, George Norrie. He liked it. I got to speak about the book. And the cool thing about that, there's two cool things. The first cool thing is when you go on a big TV show like a radio show like that, people hear about that, they buy your book. So the next day, my book was selling like crazy, hundreds of copies like crazy. So that was a nice thing because, well, two things. It helps people hear your story. And guess what? Puts a few, you know, few uh, toppings in your pocket. The other thing that was good about that is that the priest who blessed my room during the haunting – I had not seen him in 30 years. I thought he passed on. When I was in the radio show, he was in the hospital having surgery. He came out of surgery. He was sitting in the, in the, the resting area, 
and the radio was on, and the radio was playing Coast to Coast AM, and he heard me say his name on the radio across this, this global program. He thought, oh my gosh, he reached out to me, and I got to meet the priest 30 years later who helped me and say thank you to him. That was a great, great blessing for me. Well, when I did the, um, like the chapter one of your book, because uh, yeah. I, I quite enjoyed reading it, I could sense the essence of how you how you was feeling during the event. I could, I think it came out very well in the book. Well, thank you. You know, I talk about fear and I talk about freezing or fighting or things like that. You know, and um, I want I was given advice. The advice I was given by uh, this first source of the New York Times. He said, "Always start with a powerful moment." So I thought back to the haunting. A very powerful moment was me lying on the floor, bleeding after that attack in the bathroom. So I figured, you know what? I'll just start with that. And I thought, okay, well, people didn't experience that. I did. What did that feel like? You know, what could I tell them? So I decided at that point in time, I would put the reader in the room with me. So I tried to write the book as though I'm talking to you or as though you're with me throughout the whole process. And in this way, the reader can experience this 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 trauma, this excitement, uh, this this new new approach to like my whole life, in the safety of their own room, the safety of their own you know their own, their own bed, because they're not actually living it, but they could feel the, the the fear, they could feel the drama. And I'm very thankful, as I said before, that I was able to actually, to some degree, express how I felt all those years later. And I, and I think it's because those moments, those days, I was fighting for my sanity. I was fighting for my life. And those moments, those thoughts, those ideas are seared, burned into me like, like, a, like a brand, you know, into my mind. And that's why I think it wasn't difficult for me to share them in the way that I did. Hmm. Well, yeah, uh what, how does it feel like when you hear your own words sp- spoken back? <laughs> well, you know, I laugh a lot because all of this to me is so just unexpected. It's, it's so it's so interesting. I mean, I'll answer your question in this fashion. When the sci-fi show came out, it would repeat itself sometimes, different times of the night, different times of the evening. And I'd be in a restaurant or a bar, and there would be my face on the TV. People would go, oh, my gosh, that's you on TV. Sign this for me. Sign this napkin. It was so strange that certain things can make people see you in a different way. So back in college, I was so upset by being called the ghost boy. It really bothered me. 30 years later, fast forward, people are celebrating it like, you're so cool. I'm like, I am. So it's amazing how society can control you, it can affect you in good and bad. To have someone read my words, to have somebody quote my words, to have somebody say to me, they help them. That is so gratifying. It is so gratifying. It, it's hard for me to understand. It's hard for me to put in perspective. But I, I can tell you, I'm very moved by that. Well, as I said earlier, I, I really generally did get the sense of the book, and I shall look forward to reading more at one stage. Absolutely. I don't know if you have it. If you want, I can send you a copy. I'll put it in the mail to you in the post. Thank you very much for that, Chris. That's very kind of you. Absolutely. Now, um, uh, well, 
was um, doing the book, did you have to do a tours and promote it and do the usual things that people have to do to sell a book? I, I didn't have to, but you're supposed to. And they usually give you an option about that. Do you want to just do like Barnes and Noble stores, the big sellers? Do you want to do uh, conferences? Do you want to go to colleges? And when I saw the positive feedback I was getting with the book, I thought, you know what? This is fun. Why don't I travel around, see different places, meet different people? So I embraced that. And up until about six months ago, I was doing an event almost every week. So I think in 2017... I did 44 events, and the year before that, I did 43, so constantly on the road. Eventually, you get tired. Your body wears out from all the fast food and the hotels, but I did that, yeah, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And and if you think about this, when I left college, even though I think the whole thing was resolved by then, it was still solely negative in my mind because it prevented me from being who I wanted to be. However... Now that I see people's reactions and they ask me questions and they shake my hand and they, they're happy to see me, I think, you know what? Sharing my story was a good idea because not only do they learn from my experience, but it feels good to share it, to say it, to speak it. It's cathartic in that way, you know? So I, I love that. And um, so I'm a little older now and I'm trying to slow my schedule down so that my health stays good. But yeah, I really do enjoy that. I, I do. And uh Almost every time I go someplace, I meet a few people who are just amazing, who are positive, and I, I, I love I love the interaction. I love meeting people I would otherwise meet, and I can go any place now and meet. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I was going down to Florida, state of Florida, uh, last year to uh, visit uh, my grandmother and my sister and my, my uh, young nephew, and I was going to Alabama, and I thought, I think Kat Hobson lives around here, and sure enough, she did, and I got to go sit with Kat. I had, for the very first time, I had sushi, and she gave me a beautiful, beautiful picture of a seagull. So what an amazing time, you know? So all I can say is that writing the book, sharing the book, and speaking about it has been as positive as the haunting was negative. I was wondering, what would you tell your teenage self now? If you could meet your teenage self, what would you say? <laughs> hey. A lot of things. A, a lot of things. It's it's funny how as I get older, I'm so much smarter than I was back then. I thought as a kid I was pretty smart. Looking back, that was not the case. I, I would tell my teenage self to enjoy being young, to enjoy having healthy lungs, to enjoy having strong legs, to enjoy having good hearing and good sight, to enjoy being able to stay up all night and not suffer the consequences to enjoy not having a job, you know, day and night, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five for 30 years. I would say enjoy their life. In terms of the haunting, I'd have told myself, it sounds odd, to get more evidence. I didn't want it back then. I want just to stop. But now I see later on that people really like these proofs. So I would have probably talked to the ghost more. I would have tried to, you know, brought my friends uh, into greater contact with this experience rather than keeping them apart from it because I was scared for their safety. But, you know, you live your life for a reason. That's to learn. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still here, so knock on wood. That should be good enough. Oh, good to hear, because otherwise we wouldn't be having this lovely conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a fact. <laughs> um, now, before uh, – we'll be going to break soon. So 
I'm going to ask a question after. I'll ask a question before we go to the break. Have you got any other skills you'd like to mention? So, during the break, I think about this, or do I give you a quick word? I think I think we give it we give it a think about because okay, I think you might um, you might think oh I wonder why I'm good because I heard you singing earlier on and I thought (laughs) I wonder if he's into singing or or comedy. (laughs) I sing as well badly but i do sing understood so i'll think during the break and i'll keep it clean <laughs> that's okay uh, please do I, I otherwise i may never be allowed on the air ever again <laughs> absolutely absolutely in the uk we've got a thing called bleeps and it's only beep 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 and beep 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 <laughs> a lot of sensor going uh, on no i i will i will try to think of your listeners when we get back from the break a skill or two i have that Maybe you won't be surprised. And I, I think you should look at British postcard humour. Got it. Mission accepted. And you'll you check it out and you'll be, I think you'll like it. I think you're the kind of person that will get the jokes. They're induendo jokes. They're not like, they're a little bit in your face, but. And some of it may go over your head because, A, you're American, a British human does go over the head. All right. And we're on a break now, Chris. (laughs) See you you after the break. WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experience Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Hello? Hello. Hi, Chris. I saw you had a look at the British card humor. What did you think? It's funny. It's a, it's a it's a dry, somewhat mature uh, form of humor, which I thoroughly enjoy. Well, I'm a great fan of the Carry On films. I don't know if you get them over in the states. I'm not too sure. 
but but they are full of that kind of humor and they probably wouldn't make it now unfortunately i i used to like watching from bbc i think it's called keep up appearances with mrs bouquet yes 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 <laughs> yeah. I like that. bouquet yes. not bucket bouquet that's that's right i love the monty pythons i uh, Fulfy Towers, so I'm, I'm a big fan. The old Doctor Who with Tom Baker. Yes, and his jelly babies and his long scarf. Yes, that's right. Um, now, Chris, before the break, you was going to think over what other skills you may have. Well, I'm yeah. quite interested to find that out. Well, I used to run no longer. That skill's gone. I can still draw. I can still draw images, so I can do a portrait of someone in about 15, 20 minutes, and make their likeness. I want it to be, as a young person, an artist. I used to draw pictures of celebrities like Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe. I used to draw fig- pictures of my friends or relatives. But uh, I was always advised that wasn't really a career. You know, you, that's, that's a hit or miss. So I never really pursued uh, that. Also, I used to play the drums, you know, the, the drum kit and the snare. Uh, first with the middle school band and the high school band then for marching band, then for some, you know, local bands. So I love to drum, too. So those are the things you want to know that I can do that just I just don't really do that much. Ah, so was you uh, in the local, like, fan-based rock and roll band where the fans would follow you wherever you went? No, that was more like me and three friends in the garage with their parents saying, tone it down. <laughs> I bet you enjoyed it, though. It's good fun, isn't it, to... It, it have really that kind is. of experience. It, it really is. You know, I, I just, uh, when you're a young kid, you're always looking for your place. You're looking for something that you can do, you know, that uh, will make you have a nice time or differentiate yourself from all your peers, your classmates. And so, you know, I, I ran fast. That was good. You know, I put the drums. That was kind of cool. In fact, I remember I must have been in fifth grade and they had this song they called Blue Rock for the band. And only one drummer played the snare drum. And that was the big thing back then. Oh, who's playing the snare drum this year? And I, I practiced, and I got that spot. So at the, the year-end concert with all the young people there, and I got to go out on the stage and play Blue Rock. And looking back, it was so simple. The concert band went, do, 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 do. And the drum sergeant went, dut, dut, dut. <laughs> but at the time, that was like extraordinary drumming. So it's looking back, it was hilarious. <laughs> Yes, I, I think it's important that you, you can reflect back in your youth. And I think that you've got a fantastic attitude compared to what you've been through, Chris. I think I think you've come across how well that you have gone through the other side, I would say. Well, I'm glad. I, I uh, You know, there are no guarantees in life. And during the haunting, I was trying so hard to make it through and come out on the other side. And I don't, way back in the day, um, uh, there were hostages, U.S. American hostages, taken by Iran back in the 1979 or so. And, and when they were released, the hostages, uh, January of 1980, they flew into New York, Stewart Airport. And I live about three miles from there. So the American hostages, the freed hostages, came back to the U.S. after 444 days in captivity. They were on the buses. And they drove them past, and we waved to them with our flags and things. And they looked so relieved they weren't executed, you know, so relieved they were back home in their own country. And I remember when I left college after the haunting, I thought to myself, you know what? 
I understand their faces now just to be going home. You know, I'm going back home to, to my bed, you know, to my yard, to my friends. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was an amazing feeling. And I think that moments like that, you know, allowed me to appreciate uh, more uh, every day, you know. And uh, you know, I, I still have, you know, we all have bad days. We get grumpy sometimes or things bother you. It happens. But for the most part, I, I dedicate myself to trying to be po- a positive person, you know. I can understand that because I have um, various um, issues with my health. One of them being I've got small vessel disease of the brain, which affects cognitive skills like speech and memory. I have movements, which some days can be very annoying. And however, I, I too, however, uh, well, look now, you have a radio show. You're you're meeting people. You're doing things. That's that's a credit to you. Yeah, because I think you've got to prove to people. I always say to people, you're not the illness, you're a person. And I think that's the best attitude to have. Right, that's right. It's a choice to make, right? It's a choice you make. You can say, you know what, this is too hard to do. I'm not going to do this anymore. What's the point? Or I'm moving forward. I'm living my life. I'm enjoying it. And that's a choice that everyone has to make, you know, one way or the other. And uh, like yourself, I made a choice to move forward to be positive. I think also you come across as more spiritual as well. Oh, thank you. That's an interesting thing because, you know, in the Christian faith, I was raised Christian, um, the concept was that you are saved through your faith, that, you know, belief in, in, in religion, belief in the crucifixion, resurrection, belief, things you didn't see to believe in the afterlife, there's all faith, there's no proof of it. When I saw this ghost day after day, and I heard its cries, and I heard it talk, and it, it would move through my room. I, I realized, wait, this is not faith. I now know something exists after life, after death. And I thought to myself, do I have faith now? I mean, for example, if you could prove your faith, is it faith anymore or is it experience? So as a teenager in my room, I think to myself, wait, wait, do I have faith or not? And, and then I realized, you know what? Yes, I do, because faith isn't just believing in an idea. Faith is having the idea inside of you. And so when you give to people, to charity, when you help someone in need, you know, when you, you tell people to not to give up their hope and their, and their, and their values and their love, I think that that is a faith, you know? And, and, you know, when you talk about things like love, what, what is that love? What is love? I mean, how do you verify it? So you put a ring on your finger. What does that mean? There's a ring on your finger. You know, it's, it's when someone says to you, I like being near you. I'm happy when you laugh. I like the sound of your voice. Hold my hand. That's love. You know, and, and it, it's something that in all different ways we can experience, whether it's platonic, whether it's intimate, whether it's a memory we have, it's love of music, of song, of dance, of art. You know, it's there. You know, you, you just have to make sure you pay attention to it and, and embrace it. I always find love a very strange word because it can mean so many things. In- Absolutely. And to different people. Right, yes. And what we think is love, to someone else might not be. You know, and what they think is love, we might think, well, how is that love? But, but in the end, you know, we have to walk our own path. And if the path we walk is a path that is uh, focused on doing well, is focused on happiness, is focused on being productive or kind, that's nice. That's nice. You know, some people like pizza, some don't. Some people like, you know, different kinds of food. Others don't. I mean, even music. 
Some people like soul. Some people like pop. Some people like rock or heavy metal or rap or classical. But you know what? It's all music. And that's okay. You know, that's, that's okay, you know. And uh, I, I love, even though it's uncomfortable sometimes, there are different ways and forms of expressing love because it makes the world interesting. Do you think that I do? I, this is only a theory, and I've expressed it that is a theory. I think that when we die, that we become a light force, and like we join God, which is, I think God is a light, like a vast white energy, and we join him like a hive. I like that theory. As you say, it's a theory. But I like that one. I like that one because it presupposes a goodness. It presupposes a hope. It presupposes a union uh, or a returning home. So while you say it's a theory, I agree it's a theory. I like it because it gives to me things I would hope to have in that post-life experience. Um, my experience at college with that ghost showed me, though, that you can be separate from the light. This, this thing was always in pain and screaming and wailing and attacking. And when I finally, finally spoke to it, I said to it, listen, you can't stay here. You're suffering. People are suffering. People are getting hurt. You need to believe there's love. That whatever you did can be forgiven. Whether by your parent, the person you scorned, by God. So you've been calling my name for months. You've been following me for months. Here's what I will tell you. You need to find rest. Yes, I quite agree. And also, um, I think it, it's important that we, we forget about the things that we do to others as well. How easy it is we can affect someone. Say, like, sometimes I might get annoyed and I might take it out of my wife. Not, not in a nasty way, but you might get a bit say oh a few words you didn't want to say that kind of thing right and later on you regret that yes i think sometimes we forget how vulnerable we are well yeah you can have someone get a haircut go to the barber shop the beauty parlor and and they get a haircut and then five people say it's beautiful if one person says oh no what happened that one person's opinion rules your mind you think oh what, what happened and sometimes we focus so much on that one negative thing that it can be it can be debilitating, you know, instead of focusing on the positive things. I, and sometimes, to back up your point, you can affect someone from a distance. You know, we talk about, you know, the words you use and how you behave and that your, your nonverbal communication can, can lead to that. I was walking through a mall, a shopping center in Pennsylvania, which is a state over from where I live. And a gentleman came up to me who I didn't know. And he said to me, oh, my gosh, the ghost boy, you're, you're my hero as a kid. I thought, what? He was a big bear hug. I was a little nervous, you know. And he said to me, when I was 14, I read about you in the papers. I read about you in the newspaper about how you talk with this ghost. And I wanted to be you. I wanted to be in your spot. And I would wrestle, wrestling. And I would people in headlocks and say, I am the ghost boy. What was it like? And I explained to him how difficult it was and how scared I was. I felt alone sometimes, even in a crowd, but he taught me something. I thought I was alone and isolated. Here was a kid I didn't know, hundreds of miles away, cheering for me, rooting for me, hoping for me, praying for me. 
how amazing is that? And sometimes I tell people, don't isolate. There's always someone who will put their hand out to you to help. They may look different than you, sound different than you, think different than you, but they're putting their hand out. Accept it because one day you can put your hand out to someone else. Yes, uh, I quite agree with that. As I said earlier, I'm a great believer in karma. I, I, I really seriously believe if you keep, do good things to people, you get good back. And if you do, do bad things, you get bad things back. Right. As I say, that, again, karma is not proven. But hey, that's what life is. If we could prove everything, how boring would it be? <laughs> You're absolutely right, because then there's no joy in living because everything's predetermined. You know, that's... That, that's a rough thing. And, you know, there's something to be said, you know, structure is good. Structure is good because you're secure in structure. You're comfortable in structure. But you don't grow from structure. You don't improve from structure. You see what I'm saying? So even if you have a structure around you, a wake-up time, a breakfast food, a TV show you watch, that's comforting, but you won't grow that way. And so you want to balance out comfort with growth. And growth takes effort. Whether that means education, whether that means exercising, whether that means developing your people skills, your growth always takes effort. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges for human beings is to balance growth and comfort. And that's tough for all of us. Right, Chris, are you up for a bit of fun? I believe so. (laughs) Right. I normally end my show with a little song. So here it goes. Hello, Chris. Thank you for being on your my show. It was great to hear about your book. I was very interested in what you said. You seem so kind and spiritual and, and so knowledgeable of what you do. And would you like to do a song with me? And that's up to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. I didn't expect this is exciting. So how about this? I will spend my whole life through, boom, 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 thanking you, loving you, you. thanking you. Thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. I had a, I had a great time. I really did. <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead about that because I think it's important, as, as dramatic as the series was, that happened to you, the events, I think you got to have that spirit of fun with you. Oh, yeah, that's, I, you know, it, during the haunting itself, I know we're, we're going to the end of this show, I always tried to find ways to smile, uh, whether it was to watch an old TV show or go with my friends out in the town. Uh, you know, I, I would just always try to make a laugh. And I remember there was this big snowstorm. We had feet of snow, so high. And I ran out the door with no clothes on, my birthday suit. Ran around the whole campus. And everybody was laughing hysterical. Then a snowplow came and almost hit me. Beep, beep. <laughs> and then like, everybody laughed. So I always think it's important to... Even in terrible times, laugh and, and enjoy what you have and even simple things. Always think of the bright side of life. And I'd like to thank you, Chris, for being on the show. I do appreciate that very much. Well, thank you very much, sir. And my privilege. Thank you. Good night. Good bless. And good karma to you. You are listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, Birmingham, Alabama.